Welcome to another episode of Living with Hospice. My name's Mitch Ware, and I will be your host. I've been involved with hospice for over 13 years, both as a family caregiver and a trained hospice volunteer. I just made a fresh pot of coffee, so come on in, grab a cup, pull up a chair, and let's talk about today's topic. I think one of the biggest questions most commonly asked is, when is it time to bring in hospice? We're going to take a a good look at that today because it's a very common question and folks often wonder, if I bring in hospice, am I giving up? And the answer to that is absolutely not. What it does mean is that you're taking control of the process. You're making the decision to have quality of life as opposed to continuous treatments that may make you sick or your loved one sick that may or may not prolong life. Many people would rather have quality of life over an extra few weeks or a month feeling sick, weak, and bed-bound. I'm not saying that hospice care will get you out of the bed and ready to run the next marathon or 5K, (laughs) but I've seen time and time and time and time and time again, people with a terminal illness get off of the treatment merry-go-round and actually feel so much better physically, emotionally, and spiritually, all as a result of their hospice experience. Now, to be clear, hospice care can only start after you have stopped curative care. However, if you or your loved one have been given a terminal diagnosis, now is the time to explore your end-of-life care options. Believe me, I understand no one wants to think about losing someone they love. For that reason, many families delay discussions about end-of-life care. If you're asking yourself, Well, when should we call hospice? There is a good chance your loved one may already be eligible to receive this added layer of uniquely specialized care and support. Even if your loved one is not currently eligible for hospice care, gathering the information about when you should call hospice before the crisis hits will give you time to understand the different options available and determine the best fit for your family. That's really the key when picking out a hospice. What is the best fit for your situation and your family? Taking time to do this homework is really going to save you a ton of anxiety later. I wish I had a nickel for every time a family told me that they wished they had called sooner. Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, many families wait to call hospice until the final days and weeks not knowing that they could have started receiving additional, very special palliative medical care with equipment and supplies related to their loved one's terminal illness at no cost much earlier. As I mentioned in previous episodes, hospice care improves the patient's quality of life by managing pain and other symptoms and and comfort issues, not only for the patient, but for the caregivers by having someone there, someone that they can lean on, seek guidance from, and receive much-needed support during this really difficult time. In fact, I've, I've had patients that improve so much while on hospice care 
that they actually graduated out of hospice. Not many in all these years, maybe four or five. What that means, graduated out of hospice care, that means that their prognosis changed, meaning that they no longer had a prognosis of six months or less. So if I have a loved one and he or she is in treatment, but not doing well, or not getting the desired results. How do I know it's time to at least start thinking about hospice if the doctor or nurse haven't mentioned it yet? How many of these events apply to you in your situation? You're making frequent hospitalizations or trips to the ER. Your frequent or reoccurring uh, infections are popping up or There's a reduced desire to eat, leading to a significant weight loss and and changes in body composition or maybe rapid decline in, in just overall health in the last few months, even with aggressive medical treatments. Or maybe uncontrolled pain and shortness of breath or nausea or vomiting or maybe decreasing alertness, a withdrawal, increased sleeping or or just overall mental confusion. And some people, you know, just an inability to perform tasks on a, a daily living, such as eating or walking or using the bathroom or getting dressed. A change in these cognitive and functional abilities, are, there's a flag there. This is deteriorating mental capacity. These are the things you need to talk over with your doctor. And maybe it's time to make a decision to focus on quality of life instead of aggressive treatments that may or may not work, that may or may not add a few extra weeks or or a month. The patient has been diagnosed with a life-limiting condition with a prognosis of six months, eight months, a year or less. It's time to, to call hospice. And you can do that by Googling hospice online, or you can uh, ask Siri for the phone number for your local hospice. But I recommend going to your clinician, your oncologist. They all have literature and phone numbers, at the very least, of your local hospice providers. Every family is different. Depending on your family dynamics, the decision to work with hospice is often made as a family. Everyone that's willing can participate in the meetings with the hospice staff. You can ask questions. You can get information. I can't tell you how many times I've been told by family members that they had no idea that hospice was so comprehensive when it came to total palliative care. And quite frankly, they were incredibly relieved. They felt incredibly blessed. Nearly every family I've worked with has told me they wished that they had called sooner. Man, I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. I'd be a very rich man. So many people just wait. They wait because they aren't sure. They wait because they aren't clear as to what hospice really is or does. But sadly, the common reason many people wait is because, well, they think, if I call hospice, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm I'm letting down 
my loved one. I'm, I'm giving up the good fight. I'm failing my family. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Transitioning to hospice care is taking charge of your care. You're not giving up. Just the opposite. It's making the decision for the remaining days that you or your loved one has is going to be filled with comfort and the best quality of life possible. How many times do you hear about someone, perhaps a patient with a, like a terminal pulmonary or a heart condition and, or maybe dementia, and they finally fail to the point that they no longer eat or even drink water? Then the family calls in hospice, and day or so you get the word that they'd passed away. What happened here? It is safe to say that this family waited too long before they made that call to hospice. And that's easy to do because, after all, nobody wants to give up. Nobody wants to throw in the towel. Nobody wants to say, I, I couldn't fight the fight. Very few want to look death in the face. But if they'd called hospice, there's a good chance that their loved one would have had a much better quality of life in those last few weeks or months. That family would have been supported, would have had a team of professionals partnering with them in a more personal approach to end-of-life care. And who knows? With their loved one being made more comfortable, they might have even lived longer. They certainly would have lived better. For sure, they would have lived more comfortably. And so would the family and the caregivers. Please understand, I'm not taking any shots at curative care here. Not at all. But I'm shining the light on the fact that curative care and palliative care are two entirely different approaches to medicine. Rest assured, we need both. We definitely need both. But at the end of life, the hospice form of palliative care makes a world of difference for patients and their families. Let me wrap up this episode with a short story about how hospice made a huge difference in one of my patients. And we'll just call him William. That's not his real name, of course, but we'll, we'll call him William. I was uh, assigned to go see William. He was an elderly um, gentleman, late 90s, lived in a very nice assisted living facility. His diagnosis, well... Uh, he was just tired. His body was giving out, his heart was weak, and he had some breathing issues. He didn't see very well. In fact, he was totally blind to one eye. He'd been a missionary in the jungles of South Africa and also over in South America for, gosh, decades and decades. He dug wells, he built hospitals, he preached the good news around campfires and in huts made of grass and banana leaves. He had contracted most every disease known to man while serving in these jungles. Unfortunately, his lovely wife became very ill and had to return to the States. Well, the doctors told these missionaries that her immune system was highly compromised and that she just could not travel to those regions of the world anymore and, and live in those conditions. So he took a job at a very well-known and prestigious seminary out east. He eventually took a position as a dean at a, a local college and seminary here in our community. 
He continued his education, obtaining a doctorate degree in theology and in several other uh, disciplines. He was asked to serve as president of this college eventually, and well, he served faithfully for over 14, 15 years. His wife passed away about a dozen years or so ago now. He'd lived as a bachelor, although he did have two very strong daughters. Gradually, his health began to fail, and they were quite concerned. He retired from his position at the college and continued to study and speak all over the world. William suffered a cardiac event right after Christmas that year and was seen by several specialists. He eventually was given options for treatment, not curative, but maintenance, and in most of which would make him feel either sleepy or loopy or unable to function normally. That just wasn't William's style. He had heard about hospice. Typical to William, he got on the phone and called a hospice organization. As fortune would have it, it was the one that I volunteer for. He met all the qualifications and was put into our service. In, in the caseworker and the social worker visits, he'd mentioned that he really enjoyed music. And of course, the daughters are saying, oh, yes, he loves hymns and he loves to sing. So our admin team put him on the list of patients seeking uh, music visits. And if you've listened to any previous episodes, you know that I am a bedside musician. And I took him into my charge. I'll never forget my first visit with him. He was very small in stature, but wow, his smile lit up the room. He had a big personality. He was very friendly, genuinely glad to to meet new people, including me. And I typically ask my patients on that first visit, what type of music do you like? Before he could answer, I hear two female voices in unison say without any hesitation, hymns. He likes hymns from the Psalter hymnal. None of that modern stuff. (laughs) As I wheeled around and came face to face with William's two well-meaning daughters, we'll just call them Jennifer and Judy for now. That's not the real names, but we'll we'll use those names for now. I greeted them and introduced myself and, and took out my guitar. I set up my iPad, that's uh, where I keep all of my my song notes, and uh, we had a good time singing many of the old hymns, of course, out of the Psalter hymnal, and we ended our time with Amazing Grace. After a few weeks, William's health began to falter, and uh, he wasn't sitting up anymore in his chair. He laid in his bed, or on a couch most of the time. On this particular day, both daughters were present. When I was there, we started to sing the old hymns, and one of the daughters asked if I minded if they went downstairs and got some lunch while I was there. Of course, I responded by saying, absolutely no problem. I'll be here for a while longer. William had been laying on the couch with his eyes closed. He must have heard the door close, and he opened one eye and and asked me, hey, have they left yet? (laughs) I chuckled and said, yes. Uh, It's just you and I. Well, he opened the other eye and turned over my way and asked if I knew any Western music. Not country Western, Western. I I replied, you mean like 
Gene Autry and Sons of the Pioneers and Roy Rogers and such? He goes, yes. Well, I replied that I did. So I started playing and singing uh, Tumbling Tumbleweeds by the Sons of the Pioneers. We went on for 20 minutes. William singing every word of a lot of these old Western classics. He even asked me if I knew any George Strait. And I said, well, not offhand. I'm sure I do know of one of his songs or so, but not by that name. But I'll learn some for next week. I felt like I, I really needed to open the door at that point. And just as I did, I saw the elevator doors open and out came two women. So for fear of blowing William's secret, I began playing and singing the third and final verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years. <laughs> and they walked right in and were not the wiser. As I packed up to leave, the girls shook my hand and thanked me for my time. And I walked over to William laying on the couch there and I told him I'd like I'll see him next week. And he he shook his head and thanked me and winked. A week later, on my way to visit William, I remembered that I'd forgot to learn that George Strait song. Oh, no. So I did what any, any person would do. I picked up my phone and said, Hey, Siri, what is George Strait's greatest hit? Siri always comes through for me. Thank goodness. So William's daughters met me at the door of his room that day. Their eyes were red and full of tears. Wow, I've seen that look before. I thought to myself, well, maybe William has, has passed on. I walked right over to him lying on the bed. He was resting peacefully. He was in and out of sleep. I asked the ladies if I could play some music, and they said, yes, please. I took out my guitar, and I began to fingerpick some hymns, some that I knew that, that he really liked. I suggested that they go maybe get something to eat. I reminded them that, hey, they had to take care of themselves in order to take good care of their father. To my surprise, they agreed, and they left. As soon as they entered the elevator, I leaned over to William and said, you know, I promised you a George Strait song, so here's the biggest, greatest hit he ever had. And I began to play... All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> and his feet started going back and forth and back and forth to the, to the rhythm of the music. As I sang, I just was just feeling uh, blessed. I was blessed at, at seeing him be blessed. A slight smile came to his face, and, well, I, f I played a few more of those cowboy songs knowing that... Uh, he loved them. Stuff like Don't Fence Me In by uh, Roy Rogers. And, and just about when I was ready to finish, I hear a ding coming down the hallway and the elevator doors opened and out come Jenny and Judy. So I immediately went into the third and final verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years. And when we all finished singing the song together... As we sang the first verse again a cappella, I packed up my guitar, put away my iPad, 
and told William, See you later, alligator. With his eyes closed, he smiled. And as I held his hand, he squeezed it. I got in my truck and I was headed down to my next stop. I'd just gotten down the belt line a few miles and of course the traffic was always really thick at that time of day and and the phone rang. It was the office telling me that William had passed away just a few moments after I left. Wow, what a huge blessing for me to be able to share in his transition to heaven. Because of hospice, I was there. And because I was there and I was in tuned with what he really wanted, I was able to bless him. And he passed away with a smile on his face and a song in his heart and his toes just a tapping. <laughs> I am a volunteer for hospice. Hospice has a lot of volunteers like me, serving as musicians, hairstylists, pet therapy owners, cosmetologists, historians, people who come in will write your life story for you so that it can be handed on to generations. We have companion visitors, house cleaners, grocery shoppers, and much, much, much more. If you have a loved one that is facing an end-of-life situation, don't wait to call. Contact your local hospice. Begin to get these services lined up and begin a better quality of life for yourself and your loved one. In our next episode, we're going to look at all of the different services and resources the average hospice can offer. In the meantime, if you have any questions about hospice or a particular hospice situation, please drop us a note at livingwithhospice at gmail.com. That's livingwithhospice, all one word, at gmail.com. And who knows, we may cover your question in a future episode. Thank you for uh, your time today. Thanks for coming over. We appreciate your visits. Until next time, I'm Mitch Ware for Living with Hospice. Have a blessed rest of your day.